0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, to kick off a romance month, we're doing a challenge here at Team Johnson. I thought, who better to have on than two people who've been married for over 25 years, almost 26 years. Is that right? That's right. 26 years. Tony and Elisa are here. These are two people who have two children and they've had a successful podcast devoted to helping couples restore their connection to have better relationships. They've been doing that for over 12 years. They've helped hundreds of thousands of people understand what it takes because it is a skill. Improving your relationship, whether you're married or not, is in fact a skill. And I'm really delighted to have them here today. So Tony and Elisa, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you for you. having us. We're excited. I am too. You know, I know we have a lot in common. We're both Californians, both been married for a long time, both have older son, younger daughter, and both really devoted to helping people understand that this isn't something you get a manual for. This isn't something that everyone was even necessarily role modeled. Right. Right. But there's so much possibility there. It's like a skill. It's like anything else. You can improve it. The other reason why I wanted to have you on, and it was really important to have experts in this area is because I've done a few episodes recently. I did one on emotional intimacy and I did one on sexual intimacy. And the feedback I got, the constructive criticism I got on the emotional intimacy episode was that while they kind of understood what it looked like, they didn't understand like, how do we do it? I don't know how. And so I'd love to talk about that. And I thought one of the best places we could start if you're okay with it is why when we say intimacy do we struggle with what that really means that's a great question
1: yeah and that's one we've heard for so long Mm -hmm. and most of the time when people say intimacy male female husband wife the thing that goes off in their brain is sex Mm
2: -hmm. yeah
1: it's the first thing and it's like i've had conversations at least had conversations and we talk to people and they're like well we want better intimacy and their only thing they're thinking about is sexual intimacy and yet there's emotional intimacy physical intimacy spiritual intimacy And so what we share with couples all the time is like, you can't be having sex Mm 24-7. You just can't. So you have to dive into especially what you said, your emotional intimacy. You have to engage one another, that connection you guys have with one another so you can experience the sexual intimacy.
0: Do you find that couples who read a book like yours, so by the way, we're going to talk about this book, The Six Pillars of Intimacy, but what I, I like is that there's so many different layers and different types of intimacy. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, but I'm curious, who reads a book like this? Is it someone who already has a great marriage or is it someone who realizes that there are cracks in the foundation? Both. Uh Do you find that there's usually one partner who's like more interested in doing the work? Well, there's usually one partner that will go after a book, right?
3: Or after a podcast, and then they introduce it to their spouse. But we do have those folks you know, in the one family, that's what we call our audience, who are definitely they're like, we've got a good marriage, but what would it look like to have a great marriage? And then you have those people who are like, there's a disconnect going on here. We don't know what it is. We need help. And they will get their hands on a book like The Six Pillars. And they'll see that the framework is so easily laid out that now they have words to the disconnect. We call them cracks in the pillars. They have words to that. And once once somebody has a name to what's going on in their relationship, they're actually empowered to go do something about it. And that's why the six pillars has been a framework that so many couples and individuals have been able to adopt in their marriage.
0: That transcends so many topics. I mean, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the feedback that we got after doing the episode about just women's Sexual reproduction, and how so many of us have been afraid to use certain words, and we've been using the wrong words to describe our, our vulva, to describe different parts of our bodies, and, and how many women said that, oh, I, gosh, I feel, first of all, a lot more comfortable and more empowered knowing the right words. So it's so interesting to think that this is also true of our relationships. I polled my audience and I told them I'd be speaking to you, and I said, What do you believe is your number one challenge? if we're talking about just one of the pillars, and again, there's six that are covered in detail in your book, but if we're just talking about the emotional intimacy, what do you think is your greatest challenge or obstacle? And I'm hoping I can share that with you and you might be able to help us break it down. Let's do it. Let's go. Overwhelmingly, they said, I just don't even know how to talk about or be comfortable talking about what it is I need or to even know how to Describe what it is I need on an emotionally intimate level.
3: And it's not surprising to hear that from your audience, because I think if you asked 10 people on the street, you'd probably hear the same the same responses from all 10. You know, most of us didn't grow up with somebody saying, here's how you be emotionally intimate with someone and and getting that blueprint. Right. We had we had our parents as role models. We had friendships, you know, other dating relationships besides our marriage. And so we have all these places where it's been trial and error. And sometimes we have a whole lot more error than success.
1: And can I share, I was actually up with my mom just this past week. And it was funny, we were talking about this very thing about emotional intimacy. My dad passed away about four and a half years ago. And so we get into these interesting conversations of what I saw growing up with mom Mm -hmm. and dad. Mm -hmm. And especially with what Elise and I do now. And my, my mom goes to me, she goes, well, your dad and I were really good. We would talk and I'm like, yeah, mom, you guys weren't the greatest role models. You were great. You loved one another. I mean, they were married 46 years before Mm -hmm. dad died. I go, but you weren't the role model that allowed me to get to where I am today in my marriage. Elisa and I had to go after it. We had to be intentional. We had to take action. We had to learn these new skills on how to communicate both verbally and non-verbally so that we could have the extraordinary marriage we desire. And she just sort of looked at me. and she's like, oh, wow. She's like, you didn't learn that much from us, did you? And I'm like... I learned some, but not a lot.
0: (laughs) You know, is that, would you say where most of us have picked up our skills or lack thereof is from what was role modeled to us in terms of emotional intimacy?
3: I would say yes, Mm -hmm. because it's the most intense relationship we have outside of our marriage. Right. It's, day in and day out, you're watching your parents, you know, how do they do conflict, right? How do they fight? How do they speak encouraging words over one another or not, right? You know, I talked to so many coaching clients who are like, I never saw my parents fight. Like, I don't know what that looks like. And now when we're in conflict in our marriage, I don't know how to, I literally just spoke to a wife a couple hours ago and she's like, I struggle with asking my husband what it is that I need. Right. Mm. Exactly what your audience is saying. And and so, you know, from a very practical standpoint, you know, as I told this wife, I said he doesn't have ESP. Nope. If you don't tell him, I mean, you know, 10 minutes of your time just to sit down and talk about something that's not related to the kids or your job. He's not going to automatically figure it out just because you're thinking it in your head. You mm. know, we've been married 25 years. Tony still doesn't get that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, we're different. If that is our the most powerful place where we're learning these cues, is it possible then to have been raised in a family where there wasn't any emotional intimacy between siblings, between family members, between your parents? Is it possible? How do you learn it then outside of that environment? And is it possible to see what it is you don't want?
3: Yeah. There are a lot of families that there's little emotional intimacy, whether it's, you know, issues that the parents themselves are dealing with, or they, they never saw it role modeled. And so it becomes this generational thing where you know, you'll know you hear, oh, well, our family just doesn't talk about things. Yeah. Right? I hear that from a lot of people. And you said it earlier, Shalene, and I think it's so important. Any relationship skill can be developed if there's a willingness to learn.
0: Willingness to learn. Isn't that the truth? Okay. Speak to that for me.
3: Well, I'm actually thinking of one couple, and and Tony will know who I'm talking about here in just a second, but there's a couple in our audience, married 40 plus years. Mm -hmm. They spent probably the first 35 in a highly dysfunctional, emotionally unavailable marriage. The husband was raised where men didn't show emotions, Mm -hmm. right? You just put your head down, and you take care of your family, and you go to work, and that's it. And so for years, decades this couple was just kind of drifting apart, going through the motions. They'd made a decision they weren't going to get divorced, but they weren't exactly happy being married. And so about two years ago, they went on a journey to even learn what emotions were. The husband, you can find these things called emotion wheels. You can find it on Amazon that gets beyond like the basic emotions, right? People think happy, angry, sad, scared, disgust. And, And those are the basic ones that we're comfortable showing or knowing But what does it look like to go deeper and say, what's underneath that? And this couple is so cute. They actually have a dictionary in their bedroom. And so they've made a commitment every day to talk about two emotions, one positive emotion and one negative emotion that they're feeling. And he actually will look up words in the dictionary to see, okay, what exactly does that word mean? And does that describe how I'm feeling? And now there are a couple in their 60s who would describe if you were to ask them today, they would say their marriage is better than it's ever been. And they're emotionally closer in their 60s than they've ever been in their entire marriage.
1: And this is a couple that is from the South. And so when we say words like penis and vagina, (laughs) they're like they were like, whoa, but it helped them to understand that, oh, we can use that. Vocabulary around one another right. to express where we're at and what mm-hmm. we're doing in that area, but also in other areas. Yeah,
0: I'm glad that you mentioned they've been married for so long, and I think many times people think, "Well, there's nothing terribly like wrong with our relationship." So maybe we start with before we get into too like many more tips and like the practical. Like, here's what you can do. Why do I need to do this? What are the benefits? How is this going to help me? If I'm going to put in all this effort, what's possible?
3: Well. I think, you know, it's hard not to look at, you know, media, news stories, or even just what's happening in your community and not see marriages falling apart, not mm-hmm. see couples who are just going through the motions, who would describe their marriage as okay. But the reality is not a single one of us was ever designed to live just an okay life.
1: That's right.
3: There's so much potential mm-hmm. inside each one of us and so much potential for our marriage. And I, I tell coaching clients all the time, look, your marriage Getting healthy and becoming extraordinary isn't just for the two of you. True, right. You're in a community. You might have children. There are co-workers who are looking at the two of you saying, what did they figure out? What's their secret? Why are they actually happy 25, 30 years into marriage? Why are they breaking the trends or the narrative? And yeah. so when you step into this place of going from okay to great, they're literally is limitless possibility for how the two of you will get along for, you know, 50 years.
1: And we have one life to live, Shalene. like we do. And if we're going to do this thing called marriage, let's do it at the best. Mm -hmm. Like, let's go after it. And Elise and I've been married 25 years, but it wasn't always like that. At 11 year mark, we almost got divorced for the second time. And so we've seen it. We've gone through the ringer. We've gone through the tough times. And we realize like, This is one life. Like, let's live it. Let's go after it. Because the legacy we can leave can just reverberate for generations to come.
0: And does emotional intimacy, I'm curious if your opinion is that that pillar has an impact on the other pillars of intimacy. You know, because you talk about sexual intimacy, you talk about spiritual intimacy, you talk about financial intimacy, you talk about all these pillars in your book, which I think is really important. But I'm wondering if this pillar isn't right, is it possible to have the others be strong if your emotional intimacy isn't there? We've actually referred to it in the book as the workhorse of the pillars.
3: Mm -hmm. And it's because if you look at any of the other five, you're having conversations both verbally and non-verbally. And so if your emotional intimacy has got cracks in it, if if you're struggling, you'll see that carry over, maybe not in all of them, but you'll see that the other pillars will have cracks in them. And it'll be a challenge for you to maybe discuss finances because it's not safe or doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like a healthy place to be vulnerable. You'll have trouble, you know, spending time together and doing dates in your recreational intimacy because you're like, we have nothing to talk about. What do we talk Mm -hmm. about on a date? Mm -hmm. And so you see it carry
0: over if this one isn't strong. Can you define for us how you define emotional intimacy? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah, emotional intimacy. It's really simple. It's the verbal and the nonverbal communication that you have with one another. So It's the words we're speaking to one another, but it's also that nonverbal communication that I think a lot of us tend to sort of like go, oh, that's not impacting my spouse. Mm -hmm. But when they come in and our arms are crossed Mm -hmm. and we just look at them or we turn away from them and we don't say anything, that speaks volumes (laughs) in any situation you may be in with your spouse. And
3: I was just saying, or maybe you just spend a whole lot more time looking at your phone than you do looking at your spouse. Right. And that really cuts into that emotional intimacy because it really, you know, intimacy at its most basic is that closeness and connection that's developed in a particular area. And when you think about all of the conversations that you have over the life of a marriage in all of these different areas, you have to be able to speak verbally and non-verbally to your spouse.
0: The examples you just gave to us, all of those were nonverbal. So give me some examples of verbal communication where you're missing the mark.
3: Well, a lot of it, you know, tone, your tone of voice, right? So when we get into, you know, what does that look like to be dismissive or to be abrupt? Or even maybe you're the one that's interrupting all the time because you've got to get your thought out or you, you don't want the conversation to end without having the last word. You know, those are different ways that the verbal communication, if it's got cracks in it, you aren't actually listening to your spouse. You aren't creating space where it's safe.
1: Yeah. And I would say, here's something that I had to do many, many years ago. I had an addiction to pornography prior to meeting Elisa. Mm -hmm. It came into our marriage. Thank God I've been porn free now for 18 years. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you for your transparency, by the way.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. But by viewing porn, it impacted Elisa's self-confidence drastically because what I was viewing wasn't her and she knew that. Or real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's fake, right? It's yeah, absolutely right, right. fake. And so one of the things I had to do and learn from myself, because I'm a work in progress, and I had to get the skills, mm-hmm. and I had to be able to build her up. So in my emotional intimacy, I just remember going, all right, I'm going to call Lisa my beautiful wife, Elisa. Mm-hmm. That is the way I'm going to speak about her. That's the way I'm going to introduce her. It's the way I've been introducing her on the podcast for mm-hmm. 12 years or 10, 10, years, with, 10 years with, the, with yeah. the new opening that we put on. And, <laughs> and so I always say that if we're out somewhere, I'm just like, this is my beautiful wife, Elisa. That's a way to communicate your love and respect oh, and to I honor love your love spouse it. in a way that you think is like, oh, how do I get deep? Well, I just had to keep telling her that. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, she didn't hear it. She'd be like, no, I'm not. Or say something else and brush me off. And I would just mm-hmm. keep telling her. I'm like, no, you're my beautiful wife, Elisa. Yeah. And And 25 years later, I think she's more beautiful now than the day we got married in October of 96. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's a perfect example. Alisa, what would be an example that you personally would say you had to change because, you know, from a a verbal communication standpoint? Mm
3: Mm-hmm. So, and... Full disclosure, before I say this, my parents know that I talk about my upbringing on on our show and when I'm interviewed, so nobody get freaked out that I'm throwing my parents under the
1: bus. <laughs> Mom and dad know it. They're cool. Yeah, Yeah.
3: You know, I grew up in a family where, you know, sharp words or very, you know, abrupt statements were the norm. And so I had to really learn how to be mindful of my tone of voice. What does that look like for me not to just try and cut Tony down, but to actually be like... I'm experiencing something inside of me and I need to tell you what I'm feeling. I need to put words to that so that you can actually hear me and not hear my biting tone of voice. Mm-hmm. I could be very dismissive. I could be very short and just like, well, I'm not listening to you. And he was like, I'm your husband. We need to talk. Like, we actually need to, like, you we need have to engage to, with me.
1: We have to engage. And I grew up in a, an Italian family, so everybody would scream at each other. But everybody was okay with that. And you'd all just walk away, hug each other, give each other kisses, and we'd move on. But when she would do it, it wasn't that we could come back to each Mm -hmm. other and just be like, all right, cool. I I love you. It really stung. And there would be division. And and how do we get back to, okay, let's address Mm -hmm. the problem and attack that problem.
3: Yeah, for me, tone of voice has always been... Mm -hmm. I won't say always, but tone of voice was an area that I really needed to work on because when it comes to, it's not just what you say, which is really something to be mindful of as you're building emotional intelligence, but how are you saying it? Because a lot of times, like we just did an episode on name calling, Mm -hmm. a recent episode that we did. And, you know, in that we pulled our audience and shared a lot of very, very hurtful words that they have said to one another. And Even as I was speaking those words out loud, Shaleen, on the show, like I felt the visceral reaction to just Mm. speaking those words out loud. And it's something that we all have to be mindful of, just the power of your words.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, we've never name called. I can't imagine how that would feel. I cannot imagine. But it also was raised in a family where there wasn't, like my parents never name called. Like I hear so many people in my audience will say that, you know, the things that their parents said you know maybe in sarcasm maybe in anger whatever but just a lot of name calling and i have to assume that that gets carried over into our our marriages and our relationships okay so if i'm again you know there's that block for communication for the person who's listening right now who maybe doesn't even know how to tell their spouse when you yell or when you raise your voice it makes me feel this way how do we start this conversation so it doesn't feel like we're pointing fingers, but also that we can figure out, number one, what do they need from us? And how do I tell them? Let's just start with tone. How do I tell them in this particular situation, here's the tone that I need?
3: Well, and I'm even going to take it back one step further. You know, a lot of times when couples have these conversations you know there's been all of this communication theory over the years that says you need to sit down just kind of like we are right now you need to be across the table from one another and i need to be staring into your eyes And we need to have this conversation you need
1: to be knee to knee holding our hand yeah. holding hands yeah. and we're gonna have this conversation
0: and that just feels uncomfortable to a lot of people good i'm glad because i think this, it just seems unrealistic it seems like something you see in a TV show or in a movie, but it's It's not real. It's not real,
3: exactly.
1: And Elisa and I were were taught that and heard that early on, and it scared the living bejeebies out of me. Like having to sit there and look her in her eyes and like, oh my gosh, here we go. It was tough, and it caused me not to want to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I would be avoiding Elisa in those
2: moments. Okay.
3: So what I want to say to that is, you know. What a lot of couples need to do is they actually need to get out of their house, yep. right? And get moving. When our bodies are in motion, and I tell this not just for couples, but also, you know, if you have children that you're trying to get a conversation with, being side by side and in motion, going for a walk, going for a drive can actually lower a lot of that emotional energy because you're not face to face. It's not confrontational. It's. We're on the same team. We're side by side. And if you're walking or doing something physical, then you're releasing a lot of that emotional energy or physical energy at the same time you're dealing with emotional situations.
1: And so we've called those our walk and talks. Alyssa and I, we go on walk and talks. And we live here in San Diego. And, you know, our beautiful coastline (laughs) because you're just north of us. But we just head out to Del Mar, Torrey Pines. We get on the beach, hold hands, and we go on our walk and talks. And we just start to talk. And we just start to share. And what's going on? And we hear the waves crashing. And so we have had so many people in the one family do it, no matter where they're at. Mm -hmm. You know, just get out in their neighborhood.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: get around a lake. Get to a park. Just get side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Because one of the things that we believe is that you guys can learn these skills Mm -hmm. when you're on the same team. Right. When you get on that same team, instead of that tone and trying to battle one another, what happens when you're shoulder to shoulder and you go, mm-hmm. you know what? We're doing this together. Yeah. So what are we going to do? And sometimes you're going to have a reluctant spouse. I get it. But you know what? That reluctant spouse can come alongside because they're like, we're not sitting knee to knee. We're getting outside. We're moving. All right, let's go. Mm-hmm. Or we're going for a drive. All right, let's go. I'm going to take you to this cool place. And it, it just gets that moving.
0: So today's episode of The Chalene Show is sponsored by our friends at Trophy Skin. And I just want to tell you about the two different products. I'm going to tell you the difference between the two of them, how you can use them, how they've helped me. And aside from these products, they've got incredible tools, literally tools that you can use at home. The things that you normally would have to go to a, like a skincare spa to have these treatments done, like microdermabrasion, etc. And I always thought about that. Like when I would go to these spas, I'm like... Why can't I just buy one of these machines except that they were so crazy expensive until now? Trophy Skin has solved that problem and they've made those spa grade tools, but super affordable, super safe and easy to use at home. OK, so two tools I've been using. The first is called the Rejuvalite. So you just plug this sucker in and you just sit in front of it for five minutes on whatever area you want to reduce either fine lines and wrinkles or even the appearance of scarring. So for me, basically when I'm getting ready in the morning, I just plug it in. And I point it at my scars and I just stand in front of it while I'm like doing my makeup or whatever. But you can also use it on your skin, like on your face. So wherever you're sitting, just doing nothing for five minutes, you just plug this thing in. Like if you're reading a devotional or listening to a podcast or talking on the phone or doing whatever, literally five minutes in front of this red light therapy, and you will begin over time to see a difference in fine lines and wrinkles. Okay. But the other tool that I'm kind of obsessed with You know, because with the red light therapy, it's amazing, but you know, you have to do it for a period of time before you see results. But if you want to see like immediate, instant results, check out their Ultra Derm MD. Okay, so it's this machine that is like three spa treatments in one, it's got this wand that you Basically, give yourself microdermabrasion. And I'm not kidding you. When you're done, you're going to feel like you have brand new skin. You know, sometimes when you get in front of a 10x mirror and you're like, what is going on? I didn't know I had all these dry spots and plugged pores and, you know, just like, I don't know. I look at my skin sometimes. I'm like, I want to take sandpaper to it but that's not safe. So I just pull out my Ultra Derm MD. You can do it while you're sitting on the couch watching Netflix, whatever. I mean, lotions and potions are great for your skin, but it's so cool to have these tools. And again, they're super affordable, made even more so when you use code LIFER at checkout. So you just go to trophyskin.com and they're gonna give you 15% off of all of your products when you check out. Again, it's trophyskin.com. Use code LIFER for 15% off. We just started a Patreon and there's a level of the Patreon where it's just Brett and I talking and we recorded on our walks. And not until you just said that, I realized that's where I have become more intimately connected to my kids on our long walks with my husband. And for me personally, I'd love to get your take on this. I love it when we can low key these conversations. There's nothing more anxiety producing than someone saying, we need to talk. Like uh, uh, like <laughs> you bet we do. I'm going to get my notes ready, right? But like that just I think that automatically puts people on the defensive. like I don't care who I get that message from. When I get that message, I'm like, oh geez, I'm already on the defensive. It could be an employee, it could be a boss, it could be my family member. but it just makes it feel like I've got some issues. You're going to the principal's office and you're in trouble. So I'm wondering what your take is on this. Do you suggest that it's a, a very casual? ease into it kind of thing or should it be like let's set a date on the calendar to talk about us
3: marriages need both because if it all of a sudden becomes every time we schedule a walk that we're going to have a talk then you'll find just like sitting down across from each other you're gonna be like "Eh, i don't want to But if couples can start to work this into the fabric of their marriage, maybe it's once a week, they just go for a walk, it's half an hour, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. But if you find that you can regularly talk about yourselves, the good and the challenges, then you don't have to, there isn't such a buildup of we're not talking about things, we're not talking about things, we're not talking about things. And then this volcano happens and I'm throwing everything and the kitchen sink at you. Right. So couples that will build in regular time to talk will actually find that over a period of time, they won't have those explosive conversations or those confrontational conversations. Because, you know, if we're just talking one topic, we can just handle that in a walk.
0: How do we move people from talking about surface level things like the operations of our relationship, like who's going to pick up the kids or... Who's going to take out the trash? Or how was your day? How do we move from those operational conversations into things that are more intimate? And what are those things even?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we've been podcasting for 12 years mm-hmm. on the One Extraordinary Marriage Show. And what we've found many a couples, because they haven't had the training from their parents mm-hmm. or other folks, what they've been able to do is they can listen to Elisa and I, and that is the starter. Mm-hmm. That's the jumping point for right. them. Because now it's like, name calling, for instance, they can listen to it at whatever time they want, but now they're going to go on their walk and talk. And that comes up. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you know what? When Tony said this or Elisa said that, right. how did that make you feel? And so we have such an array of topics and conversations and it just allows them to just go, okay, we don't need to talk about the surface stuff. We don't need to mm-hmm. talk about the kids' laundry or work. Hey, the podcast this week was on name calling. Let's just take a few minutes and just talk about it. What has it done to us? How's it impacted you? How's it impacted me? Okay, cool. Wow, that was interesting. And then they can move on and talk about the other stuff. But it's that little bit for them to just go, oh, okay, Tony and Lisa can talk about it. Then we sure can talk about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we just want to come alongside them and be that, their marriage mentors.
0: I think that's amazing. and And I love that you just called it a marriage mentor. I've always said when people say, who's your mentor? I'm like, well, there isn't one. I have a mentor. In- you should have a marriage mentor. You should have a faith mentor. You should have a business mentor. You should have mentors in all these areas. And if you think you found one person who, who can be a mentor in all those areas, you're probably in a cult. Right? But So what do we do though for that person who they want to have these conversations and they're in a relationship with someone who was role modeled we don't talk about our feelings. We don't talk about personal things. We don't talk at all. And they're so uncomfortable with it that you just feel like you're pulling teeth and making your partner really uncomfortable. How do we help that partner?
3: Well, a lot of it is, you know, evaluating what are the resources that a couple has at their fingertips. And, and okay. you know, we often talk about, you know, what are the tools in your toolbox? Yep. So for that couple, it might be one of those things where it's like, you know, we're just going to get, a box of communication starters from Amazon. I mean, we just went to Las Vegas this past weekend. We hopped in the car. We had 10 hours drive time in the car. And I picked up a box of cards. And I'm like, I think we answered maybe a handful of them. Mm -hmm. But the conversations and and just some of it was past stuff, like from our wedding day all the way up to dreams. And and just these different conversations. Because sometimes we just You guys need
0: to create your own. Well... That's coming off the six pillars. (laughs) That'll be
3: coming off the six pillars of intimacy. It is coming. Thank you for the product idea. But sometimes it's just, I need a tool. Yeah. Yeah. Prompts, exactly. And if so many people get paralyzed thinking they can't, I literally had a husband tell me just a couple hours ago in a coaching session, he's like, Elisa, he goes, I'm just not a talker. And I said, here's the deal. (laughs) Everybody can develop communication skills. You don't have to be the one, you know, shouting off the 10,000 words a day or whatever it is they say. But you can learn. Everybody has the ability to learn what it is that my spouse needs and how to respond to them and to stretch. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people think, you know, a lot of people listen to the show are probably like, yeah, I'm not a talker. But you can learn Mm -hmm. how to communicate effectively with your spouse. You can put conversation prompts in your toolkit. You can make time where it's just the two of you and you're going to talk about more than the schedules. You can choose those things. You don't have to identify as I'm not a talker. You can be like, I'm just learning new skills.
0: What about emotion? Like feeling too vulnerable, like you can't cry in front of your partner or maybe how do we learn that it's okay to have certain emotions? For some people, it's anger. Like they were taught to never be angry, especially for women, right? Or maybe for men, they were taught that it's weak to be sad or to cry. How do we learn that our relationship is a safe place to, ha- and it actually brings us closer together. I don't know about you guys, but like, very few times I've seen my husband cry. But every single time I have, I'm like, okay, if he only knew how much more I love him when he does those things, he'd probably be crying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so, how do we learn to do that? Yeah, yeah. it's a process,
1: and marriage is a process, and we're on a journey, mm-hmm. and so we can't put a time frame on this either. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it. In our society today, we say, you can, you can't, this and that, and we're expecting you to do it today. And I have learned personally that it is a process. And are you willing to start the process? And I think that's the big mm-hmm. thing right now. Are you willing to take that first step? Mm-hmm. Because I remember being that way as well. Hey, don't. This is coming from my dad. Don't. Guys, don't cry. Hey, don't cry. You know, I remember being on a job site stepping on a nail going through my foot. My dad's like, Hey, don't cry. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, okay. But it's a process. And are we willing to get there? And I've learned over time, as Elisa and I have done the podcast and have dove in deep in our own emotional intimacy, that because it's a place that we trust one another, (laughs) we built up the trust, we built up the emotional intimacy that things come and it's okay. It's like, all right, man. I just got to let this out,
3: but it's also, Mm. uh, you know, and I just want to add to that if your marriage hasn't developed that safety yet, because I know there are a lot of people like, okay, Tony, I hear you talking about that, but it doesn't feel safe. I don't feel like I, you know, in that case, you may actually have to seek the help of a professional. Yes. Somebody that can help be that bridge. Like I tell my clients all the time is that, you know, I'm just a bridge. I'm a bridge between a husband and a wife. Oftentimes I'm a translator. Saying this is what it sounds like. But it's also that bridge to say, here are the skills that are going to get you to this side of the bridge. And here are the skills you need to come to this side. And here's how we're going to craft safety. Because yeah. we don't know. Everybody's had their own journey to get to a marriage. And we don't know where things have not been safe for yeah. you. Or where you were told, yeah. like, Tony, it's not okay to cry. Or, or traumatic know, instances. Or, exactly. And so having a professional that can walk alongside you individually or the two of you as a couple to equip, to create safety, to, you know, stop things if they start to get like, uh, I've told my clients, I'm like, I'm going to call timeout on you if if you start to get a little squirrely on me, right? Because we want to keep this respectful. We want to create that safety. And so having somebody that helps to model that for you and to equip you can actually propel you so much further along than the two of you trying to like bang your head up against a wall going, why can't we figure
0: this out? I love you mentioned professional help because I think for so many people, or someone who's listening right now is like, I've created the safe environment. My partner knows that they can show their emotion in front of me. I'm prodding. I'm creating this safe environment, but they are just closed off. And you just keep prodding more and prodding more. But the bottom line is they have some beliefs there that have probably nothing to do with your relationship and everything to do with their childhood. And we can't always assume in the same way that I can't do Brett's root canal, I also can't always fix his negative beliefs like a lot of our relationship 2.0 is the things that I wanted to fix but I couldn't and or he wanted to fix them with me but he couldn't we had to use the help of a professional therapist and almost reach a breaking point so my advice would be to couples to not think of therapy as a place where you go as a last resort but where you go to help improve what's already good
3: Mm mm-hmm well, and, you know, if you think about it, we take our cars and we collectively every three to five thousand miles for an oil change. Right. You're not driving your car until the wheels fall off and the engine seizes and right. it's just a heap of junk. You, you actually want to maintain it so that your car will last a really long time mm-hmm. and take you all the places you need to go. The same thing is true in a marriage. Getting professional help regularly Is that maintenance? It's what's going to allow you to, you know, to address things. You know, it's like you go to get your oil change and they say, hey, your air filter needs help. Okay, well, what does that look like for your communication or for your Right? What's the equivalent? Because if we'll take care of our marriage the way we take care of our cars, it's amazing how much further and, and how much healthier the relationships would be.
0: Right. I mean, I think about the billions of dollars that are spent every year on things related to our bodies, Like our our physical health and how we look and getting abs and all the things and all the supplements. You know, I mean, people will spend hundreds of dollars on supplements every single month. But it's been 10 years since they bought a a marriage book. Or maybe they never have. They've never bought a book or listened to a podcast on relationships. And that's just crazy to me because that's where happiness comes from. You know, that's where our happiness comes from.
1: (laughs) We ask that often to our audience. We're like, hey, how much do you invest in your marriage? What are you doing? You want the extraordinary... Mm -hmm but what are you doing? Like, are you willing to put in the work? And I'm not saying it's hard work and I'm not saying marriage is hard. I'm just saying, are you willing to put in the effort right. to have the extraordinary you desire? Because that's what Elise and I have done for 12 years. We've gone behind our microphones for half an hour a week and just talked. Yeah.
0: Is it possible to have a good relationship, a solid relationship, If one party is doing more of the heavy lifting than the other, like, is it ever going to be balanced? Is that what our goal is?
3: The balance is always a funny word to me, especially when it comes to marriage, because you've got two people with two totally different personalities. I think the important thing is, are both people making an effort, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that will change in different seasons, right? You know, there have been times when I've been dealing with my own stuff. And so Tony's had to carry more of that Mm -hmm. effort load and vice versa you know, ideally you can get to a place and you know and have those seasons where you both are putting high effort in, but strengthening your marriage to the point where one can carry the other, but you're both are putting forth effort.
0: You've worked with so many couples. Do you find that there is typically one who has a little bit more emotional intelligence and, or maybe they have more tools, had better role modeling. So they tend to take the lead on these things. Is And do they always take the lead? I mean, I love that you're saying, like, it should kind of go back and forth, but nothing ever does, right? Like, there's always one person who's going to be the catalyst. Is that to be expected? Because what I don't want is someone to hear this and go, well, it's never been balanced in my relationship, so now I'm going to start to build some resentment because I have these unrealistic expectations.
3: I was just going to say, the truth of the matter is, is that I often see in coaching that one person takes the lead. Right, they're going to be the person that's going to apply for coaching. They're going to be the one that's going to schedule the, the sessions. But that's okay as long as the two of you are walking down this road together, right? You know, if, if you look at anything, I mean, we are big football family, right? And so, like, the quarterback's got a role. Straight up, the quarterback's got a role. Our son played defensive line. He was like a nameless, you know, nameless, numberless guy on the line. But if he didn't do his role the team wouldn't have had success. That's right. And the same thing happens in marriage. There are times when one of you is going to go forward and you're going to be the one that everybody sees and you're going to be the one making the appointments or doing that kind of thing. But if you're doing it together, it's okay. It's okay that you are the one taking the lead. What's important is that you always come back to how are we linking arms and building a marriage together using our different
0: strengths yeah. and understanding that we have different roles in this relationship. When you work with couples in coaching, do you need both partners? Or do you sometimes just start with one?
3: I often start with one. Mm-hmm. Somebody will recognize that, that things aren't going the way they want it in their marriage. And so they'll just jump into coaching. They'll say, you know what? I, I know that there are things that I need to work on myself, <laughs> like some of those resentments or hurts or language or yeah. whatever it might be. And so they start working. And I will always invite the other spouse to just join me for a conversation to give their side of the marriage. And, yeah. and if they're ready to start working with me, that's great. If not, then I'll continue to work with their spouse until they see a change in the dynamic and then they want to come on board and be a part of that change.
1: And that's interesting what Elisa just brought up because one of our big hashtags has always been, what can I do? Because in marriage, we do get that dynamic, which mm-hmm. is, you're talking about, we want balance and we want our spouse to do this. And yet we got to this place. It was like, what can I do? Yeah, What can I do? Like I get your spouses over there and they're, they're having a tough time and maybe they're having a tough time with work. Maybe it's, it's extended family. Maybe it's something else that you just don't know about. Mm-hmm. And yet when you look at your marriage, you can just go, what can I do right now? How can I love on them? How can I pour words over them that are going to lift them up and help them through this time? And we've seen so many couples and, and individuals specifically go, I'm going to take that on. Mm-hmm. What can I do? And then you start seeing that dynamic change, yeah. and it's interesting because it does take a little time for that other person to get on mm-hmm. board. But once they get on board, then they're all of a sudden they're like, "Oh my gosh, what let, are we doing? Let's go!" And, and they're just like, "Whoa, okay, you know, I've been working on this for six months, yeah. and now you're finally ready."
0: Mm-hmm. Can you give us some tips, daily practices, even to get started for that person who's like, "I don't even know where to begin. I don't want to freak my partner out." You know, obviously this audience is heavily female. So, but we are talking to both people. Something that is very tangible, you can start doing this tomorrow or a couple of things where it's not going to freak the other person out and it's just a good way to get started.
3: You know, what I would say, you know, some of the things we've already mentioned, right? Get out, go for a walk with your spouse, right? That's, you can literally open your front door and just go. You can get conversation cards. And what I would say to that is, Don't pull out the full box in front of them and be like, ah, because they're going to freak out. Just be like, hey, and I say this to my coaching clients all the time. I'm like, give them the opportunity to pick the question. Like if you're the one that is wanting your spouse to engage, because if they see you pick a question, they're automatically going to assume literally that you stacked the deck to the question that you want answered. Right.
0: So true. That's something I would do. (laughs)
3: And I say it because I'm the same way. So it's like, no, just honey, I bought this. I would love for us to just do one question a week right? Really low key. So because now we're not like, oh, we have to have this big heart to heart. And you can even go so far. And I tell my coaching clients, as I said, set a timer for 10 minutes. I mean, we're just going to like have a back and forth over this one question. It's only going to be 10 minutes. Most everybody can find 10 minutes in 168 yeah. hours a week to answer a question. And it doesn't feel scary. It doesn't feel intimidating. And the spouse who might be a little more reluctant knows that they just have to hang in there for 10 minutes. It doesn't feel intimidating.
0: Well, until you the, you release the One Extraordinary Marriage deck of cards for us, which I am excited about, is there one that you would recommend right now on Amazon? Do you know the name of it off top of your head? The
3: one that we just picked up was
0: 88, 88
3: Conversation Starters for Husbands and Wives. And I'll make sure That's that you awesome. have that that link, that information, and we'll get that That's to you. That's
0: amazing. Thank you. So those are two really simple things I think it is. those are great. And like, you can start with that, just doing something physical. What impact does do children or maybe a change in life, right? Like new babies, kids, elderly parents you have to care for, a change in a job, COVID. How do traumatic or traumatic events impact our emotional intimacy? What do we need to be aware of to safeguard that?
3: Well, we need to be aware of what you and your spouse's tendencies are when you're under stress. Some people will most definitely they will retreat. They'll go into that place where you know, I kind of almost that like I need to crawl up into the fetal position and I just need to process everything on my own. And then you have some people who under stress can get more animated or agitated. And so when you know how you and your spouse both handle really stressful, traumatic, dramatic situations, you can actually lead with that. Right, so mm-hmm. it, I have a tendency to withdraw. And so Tony will actually just be like, I think you need a little space.
1: To process. To
3: process, he'll like he'll straight up tell me, you look like you need a little space to process. And then he lets me yeah. go into that space where I can just think through things.
1: Can I say something about the processor though too? Because <laughs> I've had to learn this and I'm gonna give you a real quick tip here. If you are the processor, realize that you still have to go and have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so Elisa and I have had to learn this and and I had to tell her it's this. It's an agreement it's in like, marriage. Hey, I know we I know we're having this conversation and mm-hmm. I know I'm giving you a lot of information right. and I know you need a process and I know you're starting to shut down a bit and that's cool. I'll stop right now, mm-hmm. but we're not going to just end it here. We need to make sure that we pick this back up within the next seven days. Mm-hmm. Like we have to close the loop or we have to address yeah. it. Early on in our marriage, I just let her go and then I'd just get furious. I'd get mm-hmm. upset. I'd get mad because I was I was the, the one who was more emotionally intimate in mm-hmm. our younger years of marriage. I was the one who wanted to talk. I come from an Italian family. We talk. We yeah. yell. We scream. We put our hands up. It doesn't matter. And Elisa came from a family who heard harsh words and would withdraw. She saw her mom many a times just withdraw herself for hours or days on end. So Elisa would do that. And I would come after her and then So we've had to learn that, okay, this still happens at times. But we need to still have the conversation. We Mm -hmm. cannot let it die without having some resolve to it. I'm glad you
0: said that because I think it is very common for people who are the communicator and they're going to talk through their processing process. When somebody else needs to be silent and alone and withdrawal to process, it feels like they're shutting you out. And then our brains do the, it must be me. You know, and we just go to the worst possible case scenario. And so then you can get really angry. And I, I know he used to do that with Brett. I used to just prod and prod and prod. And he was just needed to be silent and kind of withdraw when he would process. Now he's better at telling me that he's processing. Before he would just say nothing's wrong. And then later he would explain that he was processing. Now he'll say, I just, I got to think this through.
1: Yeah. yeah. They, they just need a little more time. And us, you and me as talkers, we're like, no, we can just deal with it right now. <laughs> we're not going to bed. We're not going to bed. <laughs> yeah, we're
3: not going to bed. Where's Where do you think are going? are <laughs> going. It's like I tell people, unless you're having sex, there are no great conversations that are going to happen after about nine o'clock at night because you're both are just so fatigued.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a little bit later now, but yes, I, I hear what you're saying. This is true. And what happens to a couple who just is so disconnected on this level emotionally does that trickle down into other areas of their lives? I mean, other areas of their relationship?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't have the ability to communicate, if you don't have that emotional intimacy, it becomes really hard to, to talk about your finances, right? right? It becomes really hard to you know, be able to deal with matters of faith, to be able to spend time together. Because if the two of you aren't talking, then why on earth would I want to go on a date with you? Like, what's that going to look like? I don't want to spend time. Like, if we can't talk, I don't want to spend time with you. Right. That's going to be hard. And, and even getting into the point where, you know, around the sexual intimacy, where if the two of you aren't able to communicate and, you know, bodies are changing, hormones are changing, things are happening, but you don't actually have words to be able to use to explain that. You can feel this growing disconnect in your sexual intimacy. Go back to what you were just saying, going, is this me? Like, like, what did I do? Yeah. And, and not be able to heal that or bring it closer together because the emotional intimacy pillars got cracks in it.
0: Do you guys still work with couples? You take okay. on clients coaching clients? Oh, fantastic. She nice. does.
3: I do. I do all the coaching.
0: Alisa,
1: okay, we we, we learned years ago many couples wanted to do two on two and we learned many years ago that I'm not great in that moment and Alisa just has such a such a voice and a prophetic voice to speak into their lives, mm-hmm. so we just said, "You know what? It it's actually better for you as a couple." To not have so much going on, you just need to hear from her and let her speak into your life. And then you guys can process it and come out with an action
0: plan. But you do your podcast together. We do the podcast together. And I think that's huge because you get both perspectives. Yes. yep, We
3: we have since the very beginning. And that actually just, you know, in terms of couples developing emotional intimacy, because we've talked on so many different topics over the last 12 years, the show really has become that resource for either a husband or a wife to just. Listen in. And I've got uh, clients, they actually listen every Wednesday. The show comes out on Tuesday, on Wednesday nights. They, they have listen. dinner together and they listen. And it becomes that jumping off point because so many people have told us over the years, oh, if you and Tony can talk about it, then I can come back and be like, so I was listening to the podcast and Tony said,
0: or yeah. Elisa yeah. said. and That's a conversation starter.
3: Right. Now it's not like, oh, I want to talk about this. It's like, so that thing that Tony said, can we talk about that? And it it becomes a much softer introduction than can we talk?
0: Well, we're talking to podcast listeners. Obviously, some people are watching this on YouTube, but we will put a link to your podcast, One Extraordinary Marriage. Is that what it's called? One Extraordinary Marriage? One Extraordinary Extraordinary Marriage, show. And we'll put a link to that in our show notes. And of course, your book, But where else can people connect with you?
1: Best place, com. Just come on over. You'll see everything we have going on there.
0: Well, thank you for what you do. Thank you for helping couples learn these incredibly valuable skills. I hope that this gave people hope. Yes. Right? I hope that they understand, like, it's a skill, which means it's not something you're born with. It means we all have the ability to improve it. 100%. I love the way you put that. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Celine.
0: You guys are awesome. We'll see you soon. Definitely.
2: If you enjoyed this show, please don't forget to make sure you are subscribed and following along. The Shaleen Show is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and most every podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell us specifically what you enjoyed. We'd love to know. The Shaleen Show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. For Tuesdays and Thursdays, be sure to follow and subscribe to Shaleen's other podcast, Build Your Tribe, which she co-hosts with her son, Brock Johnson. It's all about business, social media, and marketing, and devoted to helping you make more money and live more life. Links to anything referenced in today's episode, as well as show sponsors and other podcasts, can be found below in our show notes.